Welcome to Because and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to people about the causes that they care about and the effect that it has on their lives. My name is Nolan Bicknell. Janine Stevens is a Winnipeg-based Olympian-turned-coach who was recently awarded Rowing Canada's President's Award for her dedication to the sport. After winning silver in the 2012 London Olympics, Janine is now focused on coaching and helping the next generation of athletes compete, grow, and thrive. Even now, if I'm going out for a row, I want to get back to the dock better than where I started. And so there was just always, always different things happening and always room to grow and people to work with and that, how do I get these different people that I'm rowing with today on the same page, this team of people working together or this team of people working together and every day was different and every day was exciting. I sat down with Janine Stevens, silver medalist in the London Olympic Games back in 2012 to talk about sports psychology and the mindset of a champion, her transition into coaching and the lessons she's learned through sport, and her devotion to Manitoba. Because sport can have a lifelong positive effect on both the athletes participating and the community they're from. Thank you for joining us on the Because and Effect podcast. Happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. Um, so Olympic silver medalist, pretty cool experience, pretty unique experience. Maybe just tell, take me back to 2012 in London and what was that like and, and sort of paint me a picture. Yeah, it's been interesting. So this week, all my Facebook memories of seven years ago have been coming up, right? Because we left for the Olympics on the 20 or the 14th and we were training in Italy now. So it's been uh, really exciting to sort of look back on that. For sure. Those memories coming up. So seven years later and uh, our final race was on August 2nd. And I think we knew the race schedule, if not eight months, maybe even a year in advance. Like we knew that August 2nd was quite possibly the biggest day in our life in that moment. No kidding. Um, and so we were just gearing up for it for so much time and so many strokes and trying to just put everything together on that day. And I think we were really like, we were very well prepared. We were going for gold. And I think if, you know, there's never been another moment where I've just felt more ready for that. That's crazy. That amount of preparation. I mean, that's gotta be a ton of pressure too, right? Or do you, is part of the preparation not getting stressed out and not caving to the pressure? Yeah, a bit of both. Uh, I was definitely more nervous than a, than a regular race. Just the thought that everyone watching this you know no one i people get up at 6 a.m to watch the olympics there's not a lot of other things that people get up outside of their uh time zone to watch and, and maybe support. The, the royal wedding maybe yeah you well know. there you go yeah, that's yeah. a good one and so i you sort of know that in the back of your mind and in getting ready for our warm-up i had a period of time where i had to sit down and our sports psychologist had given us this breathing music that you sort of think i'm never gonna need this but just in case I'm going to listen to her instructions and practice. And so a few times I just lay down on my floor at home or whatever, and just inhaled as the music went up and exhaled as the music went down. And I, I totally needed it that morning of the race. I just, my heart was racing. We were heart rate monitors just to monitor our warm up, And I was way, like I was in the nineties and I was just sitting there. I'm like, okay, I need to bring it down 40 beats. And so I definitely felt the nerves, but because I had done the preparation and because I had planned for that a little bit and, my our sports psychologist had given us those tools like it made a world of difference was there sports psychology when you first started rowing or first started with amateur sport no. that seems like a new yeah, thing right yeah, yeah, so yeah. like so how even going into the i don't even remember working with a sports psychologist for like going into the beijing olympics and mm. part of that was a coaching change and i think even rowing canada put more well now we understand the importance absolutely right? yeah, yeah, yeah. it's huge and so now that i'm in a coaching position i'm constantly trying to you know, either bring in someone, but also 
whisper soft things in their ears. So they're also thinking it and knowing it and sort of being prepared for those moments when they can look back and say, oh yeah, Janine mentioned that. Or, oh yeah, she had mentioned, we did that session on whatever, right? So it's not so abrupt and shocking and they freeze in that moment. So tell me about sort of how the preparation changed from your early career to later on. And, you know, it seems like those little things are what get you past the, get you onto the podium, right? Is is those little tiny things that we're kind of understanding. And all those little things add up. And so I, for some reason, and I think it was due when I started in 2000, the following year was a 20, 2001 was a Canada summer games. And for me, that was huge. I'd had a friend who had gone for ringette and I thought, wow, what a neat opportunity to race for Manitoba. And, uh, and so I really took that to heart and I don't know if it was rowing or if it was sport Manitoba or where they came from, but they gave us these training journals and I still have that very first one that I ever used. And I used them all throughout my rowing career here through Michigan and then onto the national team. And you can see them change through the years. So journal as in like you are writing how you, how you did that day, how you felt. So it started out as sort of just numbers or, you know, I did this, I went to rowing, I went to basketball kind of thing, nothing, no details. And then in my last few years, everything is so detailed, who I rode with, what the technical calls were that worked, what didn't work, how I felt about it. And you're going back to these and reading them and how does it help you moving forward? Well, it's interesting now, sometimes it's just a technical thing that I'm like, oh yeah, my coach said that and that really resonated with me and it made a difference. I can see by what I wrote here and then I reference it again later or just now as a co- in a coaching role, I'm always thinking about how I can better prepare the athletes. And so if I go back and read some of, sometimes it's just for workout ideas, like, oh, what did we do a week out before a big race? Like, how can I help my athletes with what we did? And then I've also done sessions where I've like read the excerpts of it, like listen to this race or listen to this, you know, pre-race thought and then post-race thought. And I've given them all journals. Like, these are the things I want you to write down. And after practice, if you can go down and reflect on what the coach told you, and how it worked and what you you had to think about versus what you heard and how that might be different for each athlete they'll hear one thing well, so much but is they mental. do different and then it, you sort of remember it a bit more when you have that period of reflection when you get to sort of the pinnacle of human physicality mm-hmm. as it were when you're at the olympics yeah, yeah. the edge is mental right it for has sure to it be. is it for sure it is everyone is so talented at that level like absolutely whether the preparation was what you're going into it and how you're feeling about that preparation to, you know, it could be three, five, 10 strokes that make a big difference. If you're not off the line properly or, you know, and we were well prepared in an Olympic final, everybody's giving it all they got from stroke number one. So you might not be ahead at the start. And that was, we were often ahead at the start do you remember the whole race and like where well, you i don't were remember at? the whole no. race or, or i've you, watched but, it so many times now that i remember it but gotcha. i only remember like the start and making sure that we were lined up straight because that was my role i remember the american coxswain was on us which meant that they were about 50 feet up and thinking like oh we have work to do and i yelled something i probably grunted or something <laughs> i remember being like yeah we Let's go. go and then but i could hear their coxswain more than i could hear mine because I don't have a speaker right directly in front of me, whereas everybody else has one either at their feet or behind them the way it works out and bow seat doesn't. And then I remember like the last little bit thinking, oh my God, this is it, right? So, and it went by in a flash. For sure. And someone said you do like 25 hours of training per stroke in the Olympic final. Like it's a six minute and 12 minute race. It's not 
you're not doing the marathon. You're not, but it's, you know, more than nine seconds. The, the sprinters who train and train and train and train and race for nine seconds, at least we're there for longer right, than that. Yeah, no right. Kidding. But the, um, but yeah, you just want to make sure that in that moment you have every, everyone is the best in their country and mm-hmm. they've done everything they could to get there. But yeah. what is it that you have a little bit more of? So it's, it is a lot of mental at that point. Yeah. And that just like self-belief is really important in that moment. So you've been coaching for a few years now. Um, how has that experience, um, tempered who you are as a coach? Oh, it's uh, a lot. Like, I think a lot, Mm -hmm. the, um, coming in as a coach in May and all of a sudden, okay, you have six weeks to pick a team for Canada games at the time was super overwhelming. And I, I don't think I had a lot of confidence, like because you, as a rower, you so rarely watch rowing. Hmm. You're in the boat all the time. And I was very much a feeler and I could feel what was happening in the boat and what needed to change, which is what made boats go fast for me. I wasn't the strongest. I wasn't like the biggest person, but I would just feel what was happening and then make changes as a result and call for changes within the other people. And that was always my role. And so all of a sudden I have to watch and I'm not feeling And so that was a bit of a a challenge for me. And even now in the past two years, like I can watch a boat at race pace way more confidently than I could before. Okay. Rate 18, I could figure out what they might need to fix. But at, if you're rowing at a 32, you know, three years ago, I might be much less confident. And now I'm like, oh yeah, okay. And I sometimes watch the people and sometimes watch the blades and sometimes watch the bow and how it's just moving through the water and Help me understand what a 32 is. Oh yeah. <laughs> strokes, strokes per minute. 18, <laughs> okay, gotcha. 18 strokes per minute is okay. low. We do most of our training in 18 to 22. And then racing is like 30 to 36. Oh. We raced at 38 or 40 at the Olympics, but like at this level they're That's what you're aiming they for. They could race at 32. I so it's more about control rather than burst. Yeah. Yeah. And, but just for like being able to pick up on all that stuff, mm. I just needed to do it more. And now I've watched so much more. It's like, oh yeah, you need to fix this. Or even we change things by a centimeter or half a centimeter here and there and how we set up the boats. And now I feel way more comfortable watching and saying that boat's too light. You can, I can move these things and it'll be better for you. Like it's, I've already is way better in all the technical. More practice, even as coaching practice gets, gets perfect. And I don't know how many times I was asked like, oh, are you like, when I moved back in 2013, oh yeah, like you're gonna coach now. I said I don't know how to coach. I'm I'm not gonna coach. Like I, yeah, that's now my full time job. That's very coaching. interesting. <laughs> was it a hard transition going from the intensity of a you know top tier athlete to sort of stepping back and and stepping away from that? Do you miss I, it? Um, I still love to row. I think I stopped at a time I wasn't over the sport. I wasn't tired of the sport. Mm-hmm. Um. I think I'm the only person in my team from 2012, other than our coxswain, um, who still has anything to do with the sport. And coxswain is the, the person that steers in the front. Gotcha. Okay. And so she is now training for her 10th Olympics, coxing oh, the men's boy. eight. Yep. She made the team in 1980 when they boycotted Moscow and she's only missed 2004. Wow. Um, and cool. so she has a ton of experience, but so she's still going. She, yeah, she did Rio. And then now men, now women can cox men and vice versa. Cool. And that's new in 2017. Awesome. So she's now the men's coxswain. But so, and I was still really passionate about the sport and I know I'll never be in a boat that feels that good again, but that doesn't bother me. Um, I like getting in the boat with novices and there are times when I don't even make technical corrections. I'm just like happy to be on the water. Um, How'd you get into this? Like where does rowing start for yeah. someone? I think it's word of mouth and random moments because I had started karate in the summer of 2000 and 
I was wearing a Canada Winter Games 99 shirt that my friend had brought me back from her ringette in Cornerbrook. And someone said, oh, what sport do you play? This mom had stayed to watch her son in the karate class. And then at the end said, what sport do you play? I said, I don't know. Every sport? I don't know what that means. And she's like, well, your shirt. What's your shirt from? I'm like, a friend. So she said, would you consider trying rowing? I'm like, oh, sure. Great. I, you know, kind of didn't have something happening that summer. And it was just a new opportunity. And I'm obviously super thankful that I said yes. When you think back to the butterfly effect of like what all branched out from that question. What, have you ever tried rowing? Yeah, so amazing. So, And we I was just talking to someone this morning. There was one girl on our team who was uh, was the alternate for the Canada Winter Games synchro team what, four months ago in February like or something. Synchronized swimming? And synchronized swimming, yeah. yeah it's not called that anymore. There's oh. a new name for it. Gotcha. Artistic swimming or okay. something. And, um, and now she's on the rowing team this summer, having been totally new on May 13th. She's like, I'm going to try a new sport and like made the provincial team. So it's like Very cool. someone just saw her at an event and said, you should come and try rowing. Same, same thing, right? Like it's so, it's crazy, but it's not a big, a lot of people don't think one day I'm going to do a sport. Like it's going to be rowing. Right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. How has the landscape, now that you're a coach, how has the landscape of amateur sport evolved since you started as far as like resources are concerned and, and how many people are able to kind of devote themselves to it yeah good good question the um i think like when i was a junior athlete you don't really notice all those things <laughs> as much right and then now um in a coaching role like there's there's so much talk around women in coaching would be a and women involved in sport at the administration and board level and stuff like that across Canada, across the world, there needs to be more of that. But so there's always this talk of women in sport. And it was when my, it was my husband that told me to get into sport, like to get into coaching because I was guest coaching and I'd come home and be so excited about like what I saw and the changes they made. And he was like, you are filled with such joy when you get home from coaching. Why aren't you pursuing this? And I guess like everybody who, I said, I, women can't coach or mom, I said, moms can't coach or something, something along the lines like that, inferring that like, you know, cause you I, don't have I, the time or well, you... it's, I mean, I'm gone in the morning, so I don't see my kids in the morning. And mm-hmm. so in my head, getting them off to school, my husband getting them off to school seemed impossible, which is obviously fine. He gets them to daycare every day and has for three years now. Um, and it's never been a problem. And then with the after school coaching, like once they're in school full time, what does that look like? And I don't see them in the morning and I don't see them in the afternoon. And that mm. just seems sort of daunting. But I mean, I started when my kids were two and a half, so they weren't in school yet. And I still see a lot of them. So, uh, that has been interesting. And I mean, there's a picture of me in the rowing Canada annual report my first year. And I had Canada games and this other race back to back. And there's a picture of me holding my coffee with two kids in a wagon that I'm pulling behind, walking behind this boat, going down to the dock race, racing. And, you know, why can't you do that? Moms seem like they would be the best coaches like, to me, like you know? Superpowers. It yeah. was just like this, that moment. Someone said, can I just take your picture? And then I never saw it. And then it showed up in the annual report. I was like, oh, well done. There's that. So it's just, um, and I think just having now being able to be a role model for other people and moms or not to get into coaching just women in general has been i think i think we're doing well we're getting there has there been an internal shift as well as an external shift as as far as uh, the need for strong female role models and did you think that you ever would be one or could be one yeah it's interesting uh 
Well, yes, because going to the Olympics and then coming back to tell your story, especially with so few summer Olympians from Manitoba. Um, and that's been amazing, but it's you, uh, well, I sometimes don't realize the impact that you may have on someone or like someone in the crowd one day, you might say one thing to them. And then all of a sudden there's that same butterfly effect outward that they, you know, and so I would talk to someone at one point and then it's like, I saw them at something else. Oh, my, my sons still have your picture hanging in their room that you gave me at this golf tournament or like, it's, oh, wow. Okay. That's cool. Right. So people, you don't really notice as an Olympic athlete, but then now as a coaching in the coaching, it's like trying to just build all these athletes up to not only be good rowers, but good people and and be confident in what they're doing. And then I'm also trying to get more women involved come back and help me with something so you can see what coaching is like just ride in the coach boat with me today right like let's rally and support each other and get more people around so that everyone can see that there's there's sort of a an inherent humility with amateur athletes though you know because you're not the big million dollar maker so do you think that harms people a little bit as far as like the confidence is concerned to to want to be a mentor and to want to be that person for people or you don't even think of yourself as that because you're just always the plucky underdog in a way yeah i i mean i think i get it a bit more once i got back and then people were excited it's like okay you can you know you can do something with this there's a bit of a platform yeah and so i think that you know, for, for something like rowing, that is, I mean, if you tell people they're rowing, most people know what rowing is. There are lots that don't, but, oh, I watched it in the Olympics, or I love watching rowing in the Olympics, or Canada's done well at that, or Marnie McBean, or like Silk and Lamb, and they can come up with a few things here and there, the average person. Um, but I still get so much of, oh, we row in Winnipeg, or where do you row in Winnipeg? Where's the rowing club? I, and it's just still so unheard of. So mm. I feel like if I could make that a more known thing for people that I'd be pretty excited at the end of it. And so where could just, people go if we're, they're listening right now and be like, Hmm, I'd like to try yeah. that. What, what's the best place for a Winnipeg or a Manitoba yeah, or a Canadian so, to go? Yeah. The Winnipeg rowing club is uh, the major club in Winnipeg. We also, there's also the Kenora rowing club. Um, they both have learn to row programs. Like some people cottage in Kenora and try to learn to row there. Cause it's convenient for them or whatever in the summer. And how young can you start? Uh, 12, I think the boats are pretty heavy. Um, and so it's more like being able to carry the boat down and then get it set up for yourself is usually like much younger than that. We don't have too many. Makes sense. You can get smaller equipment in Europe. They have so many rowers. They start at eight. They've got wow. these teeny tiny little pipsqueak singles and boats and they have no problem and whatever. We don't have those. <laughs> it's like old heavy equipment. That might be one of many, I mean, aside from uh, our winters and stuff, but what are some of the challenges that you see for young um, amateur athletes coming up through the program? Yeah. In rowing specifically? Uh, rowing or just in general athletics? Yeah. the um, I mean, rowing is hard because we just, we right now don't have a ton of people. So you could be really awesome in Manitoba, but then when we compete on the national level, it's like, oh yeah, we still we still have work to the do. Let's go back and keep working on it, right? right? So I'm trying to, this year I'm taking a bigger group of juniors to this Canadian Henley regatta in Southern Ontario so that they can sort of branch out and see like, wow, world caliber. Athletes. We have work to do. And so, but I'm also really encouraged with where they're going and how much they've improved and stuff. Even this summer has been awesome. But the, um, in general, I think it's just that, I mean, having people from Winnipeg who do or Manitoba who do, who get a chance on the national team, or we have a, a junior from Kenora on the junior national team this year. And they're, they're going to Tokyo. It's cool. like the pre-Olympic 
test event for them. So for someone like Abby Dent from Kenora, who gets to make the national team now, you know, rowers can see that or whether, whatever the sport is, someone from home, you know, Oh, they can do it. Well, maybe it could be me too. Right. And so I think there just needs to be a little bit more of that. This, when you're reading in the paper of people doing amazing things, instead of thinking, Oh, well, that's them. Like, why not me? You know, for that, sure. that moment of, okay, I could do this too. Or what do I need to do to get there? What's the, uh, the sisterhood like on uh, you? It was eights that you got the silver with. Mm-hmm. What's that like? Is it just like eight siblings that you're with or paint me a picture of that? I don't know. I think I like them more than my siblings. No, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a sister. Oh. Uh, it, they are my sisters. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, you can always be in boats where you don't love each other. But has, I don't think that, that I, yeah, but I don't think those boats go as fast. For and sure. I think that when you can get that chemistry going and we were super fortunate in 2010, we started racing in that lineup together and there was one change through 2011 and then one change through 2012. So the core of us, the, of the nine of us, seven of us had rode together for, that was our third summer. And so you get to know everybody's tendencies and you know, we had done all sorts of things like the Myers-Briggs personality test and, and what are you and what do you like before races and how is it that you prepare before races that's different than me? Because someone likes to be loud and boisterous and listen to loud music and the other one wants to sit in a corner and not see your face. And how do we sort of meld those together? And there was one girl who turned into everyone's mom. Did you bring your water bottle? Did you bring like you have a hat today it's hot out and it's like seriously but then when you realize yeah Yeah. right and it was I've been doing this for 12 years I think I got it but when you just realized that that was her state of readiness you just kind of let it roll off your back and didn't let it bother you so I feel like year one some things were like oh this is different or weird or what's this person doing and then when you realize that oh that's that's their state of ready you're just like more confident in that behavior and those things that change you're all of a sudden rested which we're never rested hmm. going into races. All of a sudden we taper and you have more time and more energy that you're not going to use. You're just going to paint your toenails or something and sit down and do nothing. But like everybody just has a little bit different behavior in those rested moments. And we're in close quarters in hotels or whatever yeah. else as you're preparing. So it's like. Those subtleties have to be the key to a good coach Absolutely. is making sure that the subtleties are all intermingling uh, with yeah. each other. Properly, and even like right? things about who's rooming with who, yeah. right? Like that stuff can make a really big difference and there are some people who could only room together and other people who it didn't really matter from time to time but once you play with that enough then okay now we're at the olympics now who are these people going to room with we were lucky it didn't matter too much for overall there were a couple who had their people but that was fine with the rest of us that's so cool when you came back um from traveling the world essentially did you think of winnipeg differently or think of um where you came from a little bit differently for sure i mean i met my husband online in london well now he's my husband he wasn't at the time and on like date number three might have been two i said to him like when i'm finished with the olympics i i'm moving back to winnipeg and that was more important than dating him like i said i need to know that you were at least open to this for us to continue because if he had said like i absolutely not And he was like, yeah, I'm open to that. I was thinking of moving anyway. Like if this goes somewhere, at least I would explore that. And I'm like, okay, date number three, let's book it. Beautiful. Was that ingrained or did it solidify when you kind of saw the world? Yeah, I think a bit of both. Like I, I mean, I always grew up loving Winnipeg and my parents are diehard Winnipeg fans. 
So that always helped. But I think just being gone and seeing various places and then coming home and all this just always felt like home to me. Um, and I just, I think it's a place where you can make an impact. And I just wanted to be able to come back and I mean, my family was here and so it was nice to be able to come back to them, but you see so many different places and then it's just always nice to come home and everyone was so supportive in my journey. Um, financially, like just with messages and everyone after Beijing, like you never know what the, what the free press is or what the press in general is going to do with sports. And I, we we came last in Beijing. Like we didn't have a great, my experience at the Olympics was great. My rowing was less. We had an injury in the boat and everything kind of spiraled from there. But, um, and I just felt like it was covered really nicely And at no point did they say, you know, Janine was a total disappointment to us or anything. And so that was amazing. Even from that standpoint, like I wrote letters saying, thank you so much. Like they were so good and so supportive. And and Jim Bender had good things to say about me, which was really nice after Beijing. And then in London, it was like front page of the free press the next day. Like it was, it was very cool. And I think just having, yeah, like that support from everybody was so excited and and that was just amazing to be a part of. And then it's just such a bring sort of brings everyone together, I think. So it was fun to come home and you you hear the term big small town quite a bit. Yeah. When yeah. Talking about Winnipeg and you know, it kind of feels like everybody knows each other. And, it totally does. Know. Well, how's your husband loves acclimatized it. to yeah, Winnipeg? Loves Winnipeg. Yeah, I don't even have to pay him to say that. He's <laughs> like really happy here and so yeah, he was gung ho with coming, which was great. I think the first time he came it was minus a bazillion degrees and i thought oh god we're oh, in for something first. he's like i lived in ottawa we're good oh, okay. i'm like oh thank goodness <laughs> that's awesome are you going to encourage your you have two daughters i, I do are you going to encourage them to get into sport or what are your thoughts oh they'll on definitely be in sports they already are that's so many lessons are learned in sport like even i mean even today just getting along with people and we did a sports psychology discussion last week that everybody has strengths that they bring to the boat and you don't have to love each other all the time, but you, everybody has something and every person in that boat is needed for those reasons and those strengths. And, um, so we did a whole session on that and it was like discussions I was having this morning already. Right. And there's just, I'd rather them learn how to get along with people. They might not be best friends with when they're 12 and 15 than when they're 35 and 40 in the workplace trying to deal with someone that's, got a chip on their shoulder or whatever and just that ability to work with other people and I in rowing there's a lot of talking like how to how to say something where you're not saying it in a blaming mm-hmm. way like let's work together on this or let's fix this not you need to do that or you need to do that which always comes out and ev- everybody has room for improvement and everything and no one goes into a sport being awesome so just I mean coming in with a positive attitude and not being angry about something that for me was always like in my back pocket. My strength was just, I approached every practice regardless of who I was working at with and, and what the workout was like, this was going to be the best practice of my life on this day. And we were going to make the boat fast, regardless of whether it was someone I went fast with or not. There were some people I'd get in the boat. We had no problem. There were other people we really had to work at it every, and it took us sort of two or three practices to find it. I still don't know why that was, but it was, you know, all those types of things, not giving up. Okay. You felt discouraged about that. Great. It's over. What can you do tomorrow to make it better? Or what can you do now to fix it? Or just all those lessons in sport are so important. So 
and swimming they have to learn to swim that's yeah. non-negotiable so they're pretty good at it but what ages are you coaching so um usually i coach the high performance group so they're sort of national team hopefuls so they're 19 to 30 and then my Western Canada Summer Games group this summer, I have 17 athletes who are under 19. So that's the provincial team for this year. So they're 12 to, I don't even think I have an 18-year-old, 12 to 17. Well, how does the approach differ from a 12-year-old to a 30-year-old? Oh, it does. Um, I'm a little gentler with them. There's only... Are you so, a bit of a hard ass when you're a coach? Oh, I or? wish I were. I think I could <laughs> work enough. on that. I could, I could really improve that. Um, but the... Or sometimes I'm like, man, I should have yelled at them more for that. But mm. I just, I don't know. I'd rather them want it more than their coach wanting it. So I try and just like remind them that they're the rowers and I'm just here along for the ride. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a difference. And some of that is more like on a philosophical level. And mm -hmm. someone's, you know, a 12 year old just shows up and does the workout and goes home. And there's not really a lot of thought going into it or they're or not going home yet, and journaling. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> figuring out you know the small nuances they need to do to improve they're just like happy to show up so which is fine with me mm -hmm. um, we have optional practices at 8 30 every day and i do not expect him to be there uh, which is great because his body they're, they're not going to be able to do the same workload either so i just being aware of those kinds of things and stuff so. what's the best part of coaching for you i think like standing on the dock and sending people off for a race just knowing that you've given them all the tools um, and just sort of watching them, hoping that they can do it, but also just watching them like put it all together on race day, I think is just neat to be able to see, right? I think my first year, I wasn't super confident that I'd given them all the tools. And it was like, I guess we'll see what happens. My fingers are crossed. And then even my second year in 2018, I was like, I'm not nervous for this race. I'm like, I'm actually excited to see what they can do and just you spend so much time day in and day out taking strokes and watching strokes. And, you know, I, I don't know, we don't race like in Ontario, they race every weekend. Mm -hmm. So they have an idea of where they are. We race almost never. So, you know, you get kind of three chances a year to race at a national event and let's go see what we can do. And so it's nice to sort of feel more confident in that they are ready for this situation in this regatta or this race or whatever so it's so much work all culminating in one you know six minute or however yeah. long it takes <laughs> yeah. right that's crazy to think about yeah so it's uh yeah i i'm always i always feel like there isn't enough time to do everything and then when i look at it i'm like okay that's fine we can fit this in here and we can fit this in here and yes we've done enough of that but i sort of start just like the athletes get nervous i totally get nervous going into racing too like have we done enough what did i miss and then it's like okay i have another week to figure that out and they're actually fine but i've uh in my in my conversations with people had many experiences where people don't either they didn't play sports growing up or they don't really understand that sort of team dynamics what would you say to someone to help them sell help sell the idea of the importance of joining a team playing a sport getting out there getting active yeah that's interesting um i think just the amount of things that you learn that can be that are lifelong and that you can take from sport that honestly as a kid you don't even know that you're learning you are you kind you know, of trick like, you trick someone into learning you, life skills you, by playing a game totally right? yeah. and it's t and it's totally that and as you get more competitive obviously things change a little bit more and but even at the recreational level like 
I mean, you watch the soccer kids and they're all running after the ball at the same time, or, you know, my kids over there picking dandelions or whatever, but they're still in that, you know, they're wearing the matching Jersey, which them at that level is super exciting. Like, Oh, we have the same shirt, right? Like, and then there, that means that they're a team because they're the same shirt and they're, and then they, you know, get a little bit more competitive and now you have a role to play on the team. So you are the forward or you're the midfield or you're the goalie, right? Now you totally take ownership of that position and, and work with the other people within the team to be able to do that. Or you're a gymnast and your specialty is the bars and all those things about like what your body's doing and that how you can influence other people, even with your attitude, you get one bad apple and it's like, you can like feel the negative energy coming off them. They, they don't recognize that at that age, but all of a sudden you're like, Oh, remember that girl? You think back and you're like, I either had good or negative vibes towards them as a child. And I, maybe yeah. that was why. Right. So it's, and then just the idea of, of working together or showing up and working hard and making sure that you're giving your best all the time or. Well, conversely of the, of the negative child, you can see how it feels when you see a leader or, totally. or when you become a leader and people are willing to follow you into, into battle. As yeah, it were. yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's, and, but, and like you recognize that you recognize those things when you're young, but you just don't, can't put into words what that is or what you're feeling or, you know everyone wants to spend time with this kid and why is that or what do they do differently that and so it's uh yeah it's neat to see and I think in in rowing what I like so much about it is you always have a million things technically that you're working on everybody else does too there's always things you can do together in the boat to get better I'm going out for a row but then the next day you're not rowing with the same people so now it kind of starts again just always so you have to figure out it's like always different things happening what it is you guys can grow and people to work with and that how do I how get need to these different people that I'm rowing with today like, on the same page, this team of people working together or this team of people working together and every day was different and every day was exciting. It's so applicable to life. And it's yeah. just solving hundreds of little problems every minute, basically. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Oh, yeah. such an important life skill. So it's, yeah. And I think all that just transfers, whether you notice it or not, you're like, oh, I've dealt with this before. Have you always always had this kind of drive to to, to be better than the day before? I think so. Where does that come from? Uh, good question. My mom says even learning to ride a bike when I was four and a half, she should have known because I wanted to be the first one on the street to ride a two-wheeler. And everybody was older than me, but I still did it first. And I was out there day in and day out trying to get that bike. She's like, I should have known then. Is that inherent or is that learned? Yeah, that's a good question. That that We've had lots of discussions with the junior coach and me at the Winnipeg Run Club. So Ed, he coaches the juniors and he, his big thing is motivation. Like, where does that, you can't really teach someone to be motivated. And so where does that come from? And, or, or can you, can you teach someone to get motivated? If you give them a number to hold, are they motivated to hold it until they get it? Or do they want to surpass it? Or like, right. what is, and what, what gives that to them? Those and I don't the, know the answer, but I try to keep people motivated because they keep showing up to practice. That's a good sign. <laughs> those are the questions that coaches have to ask, though, yeah. right? Is like, how do you motivate someone or can someone, how do you motivate the unmotivatable, right. if possible? Are they going to stick around in rowing? I don't know. Right. Have you come across people who you just raise, throw your hands up and you're like, I, I can't get through this one? Um, I don't, not necessarily. I think there's moments where... I'll be very nice as a coach with my megaphone and I'm yelling from the boat, let's do this together. This whole idea of working as a team and everybody improving. And then on Saturday I had to say, look, you need to help your friends out, get your blade in the water. And then it was like a world of difference. But I think they think from the motorboat, I can't quite see how hard they're working, but they don't know. I can see everything. <laughs> I can see it all. 
what what cause do you think that you're now focusing on? I mean, getting young women into sport is probably a huge it one. It is a very big one for me, yeah. How are you approaching that on a day-to-day basis? I think just um, trying to be a good role model, trying to... I mean, we actually have more women and men in rowing right now as it stands. And I think just people coming into the environment see that we're doing cool stuff for women. Um, I'm trying to just get them also on a coach level, just having a few people working with me or riding in the coach boat with me or sort of helping them through some of the challenges. Um, I was super lucky that I sort of like skipped all the lower coaching levels and became a provincial coach without having to go through all the steps. Um, just because my knowledge as a, as an athlete and stuff, I would, I had everything that I could do and passed all the things, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but just sort of take all the knowledge that I have and try and give that to others. I'm trying to start like a, well, with the help of sport Manitoba and whatever else I can rope in like a women in high performance coaching group in Manitoba so that we can get, so that there's like a bit of a network and you know, if I have a question about something that an athlete that I'm dealing with or a situation or team travel, or, you know, what if people that everyone's done it before, but, um, just to share best there, practices. Yeah, totally. People, yeah. And I just think that there's a total, you know, if you could just go to someone and ask a question or talk through a great situation and they can celebrate with you or, or a terrible situation or whatever, um, and celebrate the victories and help you through the troubles. I think it's just nice to have that opportunity. If we could get something a little more going through that, I'd be pretty excited. That's huge. Yeah. Just someone to lean on sometimes. Yeah. Well, and there's so much, I feel like there's lots of talk about it and let's put money into this and, and let's keep talking about it. And okay, that's, I love the talk, let's but do. we need to start doing. Yeah. And so I've been really big into this idea of like almost child care support, because if I'm working full time or next year, there's some talk of, you know, if I apply to coach the junior worlds team next year, then I'm gone for eight weeks. Well, my husband also works full time. And so, yeah, we could put them in camps in the summer in Winnipeg or wherever I am. But I still, if we're not together, then he does the mornings right now. And I like, it just doesn't work. So if we're going to be doing this, then the reality is we need to put money into childcare Mm -hmm. for coaches who are coaching, who are moms and, and, uh, they could do that for men too. They could, that doesn't need to be just an exclusive thing, but that's a huge deterrent. You know, this year they said, why didn't you throw your name in the ring? Well, the, my kids are five. Yeah. There's not a lot of camps they can go in. They all start at nine o'clock. <laughs> like it just a lot of hoops doesn't to, quite work yeah, right exactly. now. So I said, if you, this is something you want to consider, then maybe next year there needs to be money available for this. Sure. So, so what is next in the, in the next couple of years for you uh, as a coach? And, and yeah, in this world? I love, um, I mean, we've grown the program at the rowing club already in my first three years. We, well, we took 19 to, uh, or we took 17. No, we took 19 to Canada Summer Games. Um, now we have 17 training with us this year and more in the high performance group. So just, I think just trying to get more people involved in the sport of rowing itself um, is huge. And then I just want everybody to be able to get faster because there's more people than everybody wants to get faster. Um, so next year, we'll just plan to do the Henley Regatta. And then the year after that, there's Canada Summer Games 2021. So like, this year, the Westerns, Western Canada Summer Games is all eligible for 2021. Where is the 2021? Uh, Niagara region. Oh, so we cool. race in St. Catharines. Oh, yep. that'll be beautiful. And so just getting them in this mindset of like, this was a great summer. If I could maintain all of them to keep them going and stuff. So that's been really good. And then, um, 
yeah, just keeping the high performance group performing, I guess, and, and keeping them improving and getting sort of more people into that group. But even just, even at the novice level, just getting more people involved and introducing them to a sport that I obviously love and spend my life doing, <laughs> which I never thought would happen, but I just, there's something about it that just keeps drawing me in. I love it. Very cool. Well, at the end of our time together, um, we do a little segment called Just Because, where I ask you seven quick questions. I don't want you to think about it too, too much, okay. but we'll just kind of see where that goes. Are you okay to do that? Sure. Great. First question, what is the very first cause that you actually remember caring about? The Arthritis Society. Hmm. How come? My mom had arthritis, has arthritis, and my dad was involved. And I remember doing the Jingle Bell Run, which was like a thing in the winter, and you put bells on your shoes. And at the end of it, they gave us Tiger Bomb, which I guess is for sore muscles. I put it on my lips. Uh, oh, no. I will never forget how badly that hurt. How old were you at the time? I don't remember. Oh, kids. Seven or something. Oh, man, it hurt. That's so <laughs> That's very funny. That's the first, like, event that I remember being involved in and that my dad was on the board or running it or something. Very and cool. We were all, as a family, we were involved, and I, that's what I remember. So... Right now, if money and politics and logistics were no issue at all, what's the first thing that you would do to help your cause? I would make sport free so everyone could get involved in something as a kid. Um, I think, you know, there's kids sport and there's jumpstart and there's things available for kids to get involved. But sometimes those kids can maybe pay the registration fee, but now their parents can't get them to the playing field or can't get them, you know, they have jobs that can allow them to be where they need to be and stuff. So if we could, I don't know, just get everybody involved at a young, whether it's after school for kids, they can stay after school and play for an extra couple hours, even just, you know, playing or being introduced to lots of different sports, um, I think would be great. Yeah, it is expensive. I mean, I played hockey. I, once I learned at a bit of an older age how expensive hockey was for my parents to put myself and my brother through for 15 years yeah. i was like how did you do yeah, this yeah and people just make it work how? because it matters yeah for sure and so they find a way and you just yeah but i th i think even if it's financial and they're not involved because for financial reasons then sometimes it's the it's you know they take the bus to work and we don't have a car to get you to these seven soccer fields that yeah. we need to get you to or we don't you know and i work till five o'clock well it starts at six well that's not going to work for us right yeah. so um, some of those barriers that are in place more than just the registration fee. Yeah, for sure. We're we're from Russell, so we would drive to you know Nipah everywhere. Would. Hotels. We, we'd always go to a water slide because of course go. me and my brother had to go to a water slide. It just like, it adds up it's over crazy time. Crazy to think. Look at but. you now. Worth it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what's the biggest number three? What's the biggest misunderstanding about about amateur sport or about you know getting kids into sport at a young age? Um, misunderstanding. We kind of touched on it about the cost yeah, and stuff, I was but what say else is there? The cost would be part of it, but I think just these days, everybody feels the need to like get their kid really streamlined into whether it's hockey or something really, really young. Um, and I think just that ability to let the kid play and be involved in various things and learn how their body works and learn what they're passionate about because... You know, if you had asked me, I'm surprised I didn't tell this lady who asked me what sport I'm involved in. I was a basketball player. I like wanted to play basketball. I loved it, but I was open to something new. And there's so many people that I come across these days. Oh, you know what? You should try rowing. Oh no, I'm, you know, I play basketball. I play hockey. I play whatever. And now with 
club volleyball you know they play volleyball for their school and they play club volleyball and then they play volleyball in the summer and so it just everyone is so streamlined into one sport and I think just going back to that idea of like sport is fun and not everyone's going to make the Olympics and maybe you will but guess what you're probably going to be the same kid that does it even if you play seven other sports in a year and not just one Um, and so I think we could get back to a bit more of that. Yeah, I think that one dimensional kind of, you know, you put a kid in hockey at four and then you're going to be a hockey player and it's kind of. And whatever their parents think, that's what they think. Right. Right. So at four, it's coming from the parents. Yeah, 100 percent. Whatever, whatever that is. I mean, Uh, question number four, was there a time in your life where you had to pivot because a plan wasn't working? Well, I tried to quit rowing. Really? That was a thing. I thought I was done. I raced in 2006 for Team Canada. And I, on the B team, I didn't make the national team. I wasn't trying to, I didn't think I could ever make a national team. So I quit rowing and I moved back home and I worked at St. Amant and I loved my job. And it was my coach that said like, why don't you just row when you want? And I said, oh, I, I don't want. He's like, well, just, you didn't even enjoy doing it before. I did enjoy doing it, but I thought it was time to get a life. So I thought, oh, I'll just, and so I, and then he said, well, why don't you just come and row when you feel like rowing? And I was like, okay, sounds good. So I rowed and then I kept rowing and I would like go once after work and then I'd go the next day after work and then I was enjoying it. So I went the next day after work. And so I'd go to gym in the morning and then work and then go row after. And it was, I like, I, I realized that I was still really passionate about the sport, number one, and number two, that I still had so much room to improve. And so I thought, okay, I can do this. The Beijing Olympics is in, you know, less than two years now. I'll just, I'll just do one Olympics and then I'll come back again. And then I crossed the finish line and was like, well, I'm going to obviously do this again. (laughs) I bet you so much of an elite athlete is just, can you believe that you are good enough? Yeah. Well, and I, I, I feel like I tested myself. I actually loved rowing, but I wasn't sure that I should love rowing. I graduated university. I just got my degree. Now I rode for Canada. That was cool. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should move back to Winnipeg and, and get a life. And I bought a new comforter and painted my bedroom purple at my parents' house. And I'm sure they loved that. And then I was like, oh, by the way, I'm going to move to London <laughs> four months later. Crazy. So That's awesome, though. I just keep thinking of the the one decision that leads to thousands of amazing experiences. Well, and it might've been my coach in that moment who, you know, just come come when you want. And it was like, Oh, okay. He just gave me permission to make that choice myself. And he wasn't super pushy on like, no, I think you should do this. I thought, Oh, and then, then, you know, Oh, he believes in me. Okay. Well maybe I should keep going. And was it, was it maybe just that one thing or I don't know. Very cool. Uh, So this kind of leads into the next question. What is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? We had one coach who was like a temporary coach with us for the summer. And his quote was, what can you do now to make this great? And I just loved that idea of like, not every row is going to be great, but there is something in that moment that you can do to make it great. And it might not be the greatest, but it it will be great if you choose that. And so I just, I loved that idea of just this is a choice and I'm going to, I'm going to do something and I'm going to choose to make it great. Like every little mini battle, all those, win those do your best in those little things. And then yeah. eventually the big picture will kind of come. And it, it doesn't help anyone to go out for a bad practice and get creamed and then dwell on it. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to make, I, okay, we, we lost that piece. Like I'm going to do something a little bit better in this one or let's, 
you know, and working with the one, two, three other people that you're working with. Okay. We don't ever row in threes. So two is a bad number. <laughs> one, three Seven, <laughs> other people or yeah. eight. Yeah. Um, in, in that moment, like just finding something that you can do to make it better than where you were. I think there's always those little things, whether if it's just deciding that you're not going to get upset. That's so huge. I like that. Um, so if you could go back in time to when you put the tiger bomb on your lips, what advice would you give to that? Not put yeah. tiger bomb on your lips. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go a couple years later. Yeah. What advice would you give to, you t- to your 10 year old self if you could talk to her right now? Yeah, I think just being open to new ideas because I think it was, I maybe could have done something differently as a, as a young person, but when I was 17 and I was open to that new idea, I think I would keep like I was happy to try rowing and I liked that I did that but there was probably something else and probably didn't answer that very clearly but the uh do you think there was opportunities that you missed growing up that you didn't like didn't chances that you didn't take for some reason yeah I guess not Hmm. I don't know what would I tell my 10 year old self (laughs) it's a weird question I do admit no what would I tell a 10 year old girl now there you go Mm -hmm. um no I think I like that I did lots of different sports and I would definitely encourage people to keep doing that. The, um, I probably could have been better behaved in junior high could or in we, elementary school. I think we all could, could probably <laughs> deal with that as but, a little bit better. I think, yeah, being not, don't be one dimensional yeah. is good. What we talked about before, you know, like don't just be one thing. You can be all things, mm-hmm. do whatever you want. Uh, so last question, what do you want to be remembered for? I'd like to have a good impact on people that I work with and sort of people who I'd like them to have a, a good memory of having, of their time having worked with me, whether that's just in a rowing capacity or whether that women in sport and stuff grows to be something more or coaching and just thinking back to the, that I made a change or had an impact on people through their lives that I have coaches that I have really fond memories of and, and hold them really high. Um, and so if I could be that person to someone else, I think that would be a big win, whether they make it in rowing or not, that doesn't matter to me, but if they can be good people at the end of it all, I think would be pretty awesome. Perfect. Well, thank you for being on the podcast. It was great to meet you. This was awesome. Uh, good luck in the future. And thanks again. Thank you very much. Thank you again to Janine Stevens for the wonderful conversation. Um, This was recorded back in season two, but we couldn't quite fit it into that jam-packed season. So it was uh, great to finally get this out there because I really think uh, it's people like Janine who are making our province a better place for young athletes and just for just for all of us in general uh, thank you for listening to this podcast too I recognize that time is definitely not infinite and you're uh, devoting an hour and a half or an hour to our little chunk of the internet is greatly appreciated so thank you very much for doing that and making that choice all music on the because and effect podcast is produced and composed by Trenton Burton you can hear his music by going to trentonburton.com a special thank you to Sonny Promolo and Robert Zirk for additional production assistance on the podcast. I appreciate it, fellas. Thank you very much for all your help. And as always, Because and Effect is a podcast of the Winnipeg Foundation. You can follow the Foundation's social media accounts at WPGFDN on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And you could follow me at Nolan Bicknell as well. 
Thank you again for listening. We will see you next Tuesday, same time, same place for our newest episode. And remember, champions keep playing until they get it right. Bye-bye.